0: From jrootradio.com, you can watch this video online at jrootradio.com. You can also listen to us over there live and you can listen on the phone line. The number is 718-506-9099. Okay, we are in Hudash Adar, Alif. Today is Rosh Hudash, Adar, Alif. Mishin Nikhnas Adar, Hakamim tell us, Marbim B'Simha. We increase the happiness, we have much more Simha in the month of Adar. Rosh Shiva, Rabbi Shor used to say that in a year the Swarim bring down in a year where you have a double Adar like we do this year, which is a leap year so we have a total of 60 days of Adar so that's 60 days of samha. Marbin B'Samhah 60 days of samha. he says brought down in Swarim that if you have 60 days of Samha, so if any person has any sort of sadness, any atzboot so it's automatically batel b'shishim. As we know the rule, that when you have 60 times more than, 60 times of hetter more than the isur, it nullifies it. It uh, basically takes away its effect. Likewise, anybody who has goes through sadness and he can't worship Hashem properly, he can't serve Hashem properly, he can't think properly, he can't get into it. Simha is the key as farim bring down, all the Hasidus farims bring this down constantly, not only Rasulim, but they all speak about the importance of Simhan abudat Abodat Hashem. Rambam brings Simha even for the Nevi'im. 60 days of Simcha, 60 days of happiness will be Mebatel the klipah of the sitrach, the, the evil side that tries to make a person feel down and mitya'esh, and feel like he gave up, like he has no hope. It's a time for renewal. We're coming to the holidays. We're coming to the holidays of Pesach, Svirata Omer, Chagas Shabuot, Matan Torah, so this is the time that we have to prepare ourselves and bring ourselves into the simha, the state of Sibha, so worship Hashem. Now the question is, what is the Sibha all about? What's the purpose of this happiness? Why are we so happy? or Why should we be so happy? Purim? That's it, the whole month of Adar, Marbir Sibha, because just of Purim, well, and this rule only existed when there was uh, Purim around. So the Orgid Eliyahu has a very, very nice explanation. He says, if you look in the Gemara Maseche Ta'anit, you'll find that the Gemara of this brings this line, but right before that Gemara, the Gemara says, and the Marbim says, translate. Just like when the month of Av comes in, we start cutting down, we start lowering our Simcha, we start minimizing our Simcha, so too, when the month of Adar comes in, we start to increase our Simcha. Says the Orgidah Yahov, in the fact that the Gemara put them together, the sadness, or the decreasing of the happiness in the month of Av, it is associated with or c- compare it to the increasing of the happiness of, month, of the month of Hadar, must be the link together. Both of them are for the same reason. Now the reason of Mi'ut Simha, when we decrease the happiness of the month of Ab, there's a halakhot to it. What's a halakhot We cannot build anything. You know, back in their days, we used to build apartments for the Hatanim. You know, when people would get married, they build a house. And that house that would have the wedding. Eventually, that's where the Hatan would live. That's called the Bet hatnut. We cut down on building houses for the Hatan, kalah, anything that brings about ha. All things have to do with preparation of weddings. We have no weddings. In our days, we don't listen to music. And we don't eat meat. We don't drink wine. And all these things that bring about happiness. Why? Because the Bet HaMikdash was destroyed. And we lost the Shekhinah, the presence of the Shekhinah. So too, says the Orgid al-Yahu, or at least the flip side of it, is the month of Adar. The month of Adar, the fact that we increase the Samha from the Gemara, it seems that we're increasing the Samha, we're increasing the happiness, because it is a time of building. in a time of building and preparing the house for the Shekhinah to come. And what's interesting is that if you look, in the month of Adar, the parashot that we read, whether it's a leap year or not, so the difference between a leap year or not a leap year will be just if it's Adar Aleph or Adar Beit. In the leap year, when it's Adar Aleph, like this year, we read the parashiot of Teruma, Tetzaveh, Kitesa, Vayakel, Pekudeh, as well as Vayikra and Shemini. All of these parashiyot deal with the construction of the Mishkan, which eventually was the model of the building known as the Beit HaMikdash. And, on its solid leap here, it's the whole month of Adar. But even in Lipi, we go, even in Pasha, V'ikran, Shemini, those are also parashat that deal with the service of the Beit HaMikdash. Which is all coming for one purpose, and that is, the presence of the Shekhinah. The idea of having a Beit HaMikdash is the fact that we have Hashem right there. Can you think for a moment? Stop for a second and think about your block. Think about the block that you live in. And if you live in that block for a long time, you know, you, it's gonna, the mashah is going to be even better. Think about the block. You obviously like the block or maybe too poor to move out of the block in any case. But by time, you should get used to it. The it says, there's a certain uh, liking that a person develops when he lives in a certain neighborhood. So now, you live in a certain neighborhood and you're you're happy. You're happy on the block. You have your neighbor down the block. You have your neighbor next door. Maybe some people you don't get along with. but, But there's obviously some things that you love on the block. Think of the thing that you love the most on the block. It could be, a relative on the block. It could be another person on the block. It could be the fact that's such a close location, but there's something. It could be that your next a shul. Nah. What would you say, well, Hasul Shalom, if that thing that you love on the block all of a sudden goes away? That family that was down the block where your kids used to play with them all the time and such a good family, a family, family they could count on. They moved out of the block. Then it moved down to another block. Then it moved down to another neighborhood. They moved to a different state. They made Aliyah to Israel. So good for them. But ah. Uh, we are left. you're left without them. It feels a little bit lonely. We all know the feeling when the summer months come and if you're a Brooklyner and you don't get out of Brooklyn, you feel very lonely. Yes, yeah, true, there's parking, but you know what? Yeah, you miss a little bit of the noise and all the kids running around. So we all know what it feels like to have somebody in the neighborhood that we like very much, especially somebody that we could count on and rely on. That's my understanding and my mashal on a very, very, of course, a very small level of what it means to have a shekhinah living with us. The shekhinah to live with us, Hashem is so close to us, that we feel His presence, that He's down the block, that He's right there, that He's in our houses. This week's Pasha tells us, Hashem says, I will live amongst you. You make that mishkan. you have a Beit HaMikdash, I'll be with you everywhere. Not just in the Beit HaMikdash, of course, where it's the greatest presence, and a person could almost see it, but you know, and certainly feel it. But even your own homes, we feel such a closeness, HaKadosh Baruch That's the idea of Veshachanti Bitukham, That's the idea of Hashra'at shekhinah That Hashem lives with us And that's the month of Adar That's what we are really here we are, We're preparing, we're building We read about the construction of the Mishkan We celebrate the holiday of Purim in the month of Adar Which in itself brought about the building of the second Beit HaMikdash In the month of Adar we give the shekalim which goes to the maintenance of the Beit HaMikdash and once upon a time was there to build the Mishkan itself. This is the month of Adar. As the Ogilayahu puts it, Alef Dar, the Alef which represents the spirituality, Hashem Elohim, is Dar comes and lives with us in the month of Adar. And that's really what the month of Adar, that's the happiness of Adar. The same sadness that we exercised in the month of Av, we cut down on the happiness because the Hashem Shekhinah left. There's a destruction that's coming up in Ab. The same happiness is now in Adar, Hashra'at Hashem lives with us. Hashem comes to live with us. And we all know when you're building something, the excitement is much more than when you actually live in it. Maybe the excitement is for the first day, you live in it. You're building a new home. You're building your sukkah. You're building a tree house for your kids. You're working on a project, you're building something. The work in in the building is so, brings such a happiness, the excitement, that's what the month of Adar is. It's the building for the month of Nisan, when there is a Hashanah, Rosh Hodesh Nisan is when the Shekhinah first had its presence in the Mishkan as we see in Parashat Shemini. And that's this happiness, this is what we're all happy about. But the question is, how do we apply that practically? One of the themes of the halakha hour is that we are, we try to be very practical. Maybe not today's class. And we'll see as we go to explain it. But we try to be as practical as we can. How do we apply it practically? The Gemara tells us. From the day the beta-mikdash was destroyed, all Hashem has is his four amot, his six feet, eight feet, whatever shaitan you go with, his four amot of halakha. Mefashim point out that the Gemara doesn't say he has Torah, Which in itself we would, would say oh, of course the Tamud the learning of Torah is great but It says Shal-Halakha What's the difference between Halakha and Torah the both if you learn Halakha it is Torah So why did the Gemara choose that Hashem's presence is only found in Halakha and the answer is that when a person is learning Torah What happens when he closes that book? What happens when he closes that Gemara? What happens when he closes that Sefir? Where is the Torah now? Is it over? Question is, what happens when he closes the book? When he steps away from the book? Is he living what he learned? Is he applying what he learned to his life? If yes, that's Halakha. Halakha could be fulfilled, could be lived. Not just in study, but in Maaseh, in action as well. That's the difference between regular Talmud Torah and Halakha. All is great. All Talmud Torah is great. It brings you closer to Hashem. It connects you with the Shekhinah. It has the tremendous amount of reward that's spoken about in the Zohar and all the Sifrei, Um Hazal and Midrashim and, and all the Sifrei Musar. But the difference is that when you walk away from the Halakha book, you're living Halakha book. And as we mentioned when we first started learning Hilchot Mukseh. In the area of Shabbat, the halakhot that come up the most, the most is are the halakhot of Mukseh. If we study the subject of Bishul, which is important and very, very important because it's very easy for a person who doesn't know the halakhot of Bishul to shalom transgress and uh, and to be over in a sur karet of Shabbat. So it's very, very important to learn the study of the HaKot of Bishul, it's also very important to learn the HaKot Borer. But these things will only come up in when you're eating, when you come coming to eat, in Borer, or when you're warming up your food. And that's it. If you're in shul, the subject of Bishul will not come up, unless you take care of the kids, of course, right? But if most people are not, so the subject of Bishul will not come up. The subject of Borer is rare to come up also. And these, by the way, are probably one of the most... Pr- applicable melachot that we have on Shabbat. Mukseh is everywhere. Mukseh, wherever you turn, every single item is subject to the laws of Mukseh. That means Mukseh has to pass, and the laws of mukse have to rule. Is this Mukseh or it's not mukse? A Sefer. Is it a Mukseh or it's not mukse? And when something is not mukse, what degree do I have permission to move it? I can just move whatever I like? Is it like a Sefer as we learned? where it has no restrictions on Muqseh whatsoever, I can move a sefer in whichever way I want, like the way I can move food? Or is it like, perhaps like my shoes? My shoes are where I'm limited. If I have no tzorek, if I have no need for my shoes to be moved, I can't just pick them up and move them. I need to have a certain tzorek with it. So that, those subjects of Muqseh that we're learning are very, very important because that's living halakha. So it's not the, just a study. Of course, as we're learning... As the Mishnah says in Prekei Avot, the Shekhinah is there when we're learning. Hashem is sitting with us, listening to us as well, joining us in, in the Mutora. And that's where all the kedusha of Tamu Torah comes from. It's not from who's speaking. It's not what the person's saying. It's the fact that it's Hashem's words. When it's Hashem's words, the Shekhinah is there and we feel that. That's a kedusha of Torah and that happens with any Tamutorah. But when we're done with the class and we're applying what we learned, and we're living what we learned, that is halakha. That's the Arba Amorchal Halakha, where the Shekhinah is there. That's a small sample of the Beta HaMikdash that we have with us on a constant cancel- basis. Always, wherever we go, we are a walking Beit HaMikdash. Now, the month of Adar, and this year, when we have two months of Adar, is the time when we have to focus more on our Tamu Torah, a lot of people go through slumps. It's a normal thing. I just saw somebody this morning. "New, you go to classes. The answer, oh, Rabbi, I fell out of it. I was. It, it's, it's normal. It's normal. People feel like, feel oh, I fell out of it. It's over. No. It's very normal for a person to fall out of things. Anything. Even non-spiritual things. Ka'af Homer, Gemara says, Tefillah, Torah, Terechere. These are things that's very easy. You have the Yitzhakah pulling the other way the whole time. And the Yitzhakah nowadays is uh, tremendous. You have all these things that are always pulling people away. Now, the time of Adar is when we have to re-inspire ourselves. And we have to prepare ourselves for the month of the holidays. And therefore, here from the Halakha Hour, we, Barzat Hashem, will give you the guideline, exactly what we hope, what we're projecting Barzat Hashem for the next coming few, uh, classes, from now till about Pesach, and even after Pesach. We hope that we have... Today's class and another one or two more classes on the subject of Muqseh. Some people point out to me, it's a lot of classes on Muqseh. It is. It's a big subject. Um, I don't like to, you know, learn a subject that's only halfway. If we're doing it, might as well do it all the way. If it's too many classes, okay, so it's Hazara. But it's not Hazara. It's always new material. It's a lot of information. And Baruch Hashem, we, we spent a lot of time on it, but... We all know that the more lefum agra, the more effort, the more gain. And we hope that the subject of Muksa has been clarified more than we had in the past. We have a better understanding and, uh, of, of not just the laws, of, but how to apply them. So as I said, we have this and I believe another one or two more classes on the subject of Muqsay. After that, we will go into the laws of Purim. As uh, by the time we finish the Halachot of Muxay, I believe we'll be, we're going to be right around the corner of Hilkhot, of, of Purim. So we're going to have to go into the Halachot of Purim. From the Halachot of Purim, of course, we have no break. We jump right into the Halachot of Pesach. That's right. Already Pesach is in the air. You got to start cleaning up. From now, you didn't even make Mishal Manot, but you know, you got to prepare yourself. And Of course, as we usually do, we, we, we dedicate about three to four classes on Pesach. And then after Pesach, Halachot of Spirat HaOmer, those are regular Halachot that come up every year. When we finish our break from the Halachot of Shabbat, because we'll be doing the Halachot of current events, which is the Halachot of the holidays, Hashem, we Hashem will begin already the next part of Halachot Shabbat from the Benish High, and that is the Halachot of Melachot. The, the Melachot of Shabbat, the thirty-nine Melachot of Shabbat, will try to give a general introduction. Hopefully, by then, I'm really hoping that we we could be working on a video, a special video, this explaining the basics of the thirty-nine Melachot of Shabbat. It's not just important for the kids to know in school what the thirty-nine Melachot are and the basic rules. It's important for everybody to have an idea of what all the Melachot are, even if you don't know every single detail. If you need more details, call Rabbi Tahan on Friday, he'll give you more detail. But just to know at least where to ask, to know where there is a Shiloh, to know where there is something coming up, hopefully we'll be working on that. And of course, we'll go through all the halachot that the Ben Yishai brings on the that Shabbat. And is that, a shame? that will be already after Pesach. Now, let's come back to our laws of mukseh. We are in Parashat Vayigash, Shana Shania in Ben Yishai. We're up to Halakhatit. Halakha Tet is found, believe it or not, in Seman Shintet, in Shulchan Aruch. It's a short halakha, an important halakha, a practical halakha. We'll read it and explain it, and then after that we'll move on to the other halakhot, and that is the introduction to the laws of Mukse Mahmat Isur, and what will be in itself an introduction to Basis Lidabar Asur. As we'll get to hopefully next... uh, the introduction we'll get to this week, we'll get to the Halachot next week. Let's read Halachot and hashi be'yado. A person is allowed to carry your son in an area which is closed off, what we know as a Rishut HaYahid, in your backyard. Of course, if you don't share a backyard, you can carry your son even in uh, your, your dining room. So what's a Hadusha, you carry your son? Your daughter also, by the way. You carry any of your kids, you carry both of your kids. The hadush is, even though the child is holding on to muqseh. Okay, so now you're going to ask me, what? So what? I, if my son is holding on to muqseh, I can't carry him? And guess what? No, really, under normal circumstances, you cannot. Here, there's a special exception that Hagami made that you're allowed to carry your son or your daughter... When they're carrying Muqseh when do we give you permission to carry your son if he's holding out to Muqseh? That's only if the child has Gagaim. The Israelis know I'm talking Gagaim. so I hope I don't mess up the translation. Gagaim is the child really wants that the father should carry him. that if the, you know he's uh, cranky and they get very, very uh, you know they have a tantrum and they want you to carry them, that's when we allowed you. Now, the Halakha says, but it doesn't mean, as the Shai says, that the kid has a major tantrum, and he needs to be picked up. So even though he's holding Mukse in his hand, now what kind of Mukse? A stone. A stone is Mukse Muhammad Gufo, the most severe love of Mukse. Even though he's carrying the Mukseh, we allow you to carry him. Also another condition. We don't just allow you to carry the kid holding on to the mukse. even though there's no problem carrying right now. We're talking about in your house, in your living room. So what's the problem? Now, I'm carrying the mukse. Yes, that's a problem. If you want to carry your son or daughter, has to be that if you don't carry them, they're going to have a tantrum. You don't need to wait to have, for them to have a tantrum. If you don't carry them, they're going to have a tantrum. And, and also, there was no possible way for you to throw away the stone from their hands. Because if you do... The kid will cry, and he'll start yelling. Without that, without these two conditions, without the condition that, what does that mean? That if my child is carrying a stone in his hand, which is Muqseh Muhammad Gufo, and I can't get him to let go of it, I also cannot pick him, uh, excuse me, I also have to pick him up, because otherwise he's going to have a tantrum, then I can't carry him. Even though he wants to be picked up, No. I can, you cannot pick them up. Men or women, by the way, this applies to. <speaking in Hebrew> and even when the child is going to have a tantrum, otherwise, how can I allow you to pick up your children when they're holding on to Mukse? That's only if they're holding on something very insignificant to you, like a stone, like a piece of wood, which in itself is Mukse. <speaking in Hebrew> if the child is holding on to something that's Mukse, but. It has importance to you in your eyes. Like a coin. Your son is carrying a dollar bill. Your son is carrying a dollar uh, coin. In that case, you can't pick up the kid. You know why? Because we're scared that if the kid drops the coin, you might come to pick up that coin. So in the case, where, let's review it again. In a case where he's carrying a stone, he's carrying mukse, I can't pick up my kid. Why? It's considered like I'm carrying the mukse. Now, you have obviously questions on this. We'll discuss the question in a second. But just hear the halakha first. In a case where the child is carrying a mukse, Muhammad Gufo, but it's something of value that's even valuable to me, that there's a fear maybe, even if I know I want, because it's a dollar. It's shabbat. Shabbat is more important than a dollar. But still, since it has value to you, we're scared that if by carrying him, you might, and he drops the coin, you might come to pick it up. Because it's not like a stone, you just, you know, you couldn't care less about it, you kick it to the side. And not only that, there's a shita, there's an opinion, which goes with over here, And he says, <laughs> Not only carrying your child, even holding his hand. So imagine you hold it, your kid comes to you. He's holding on. He has like a, he picked up a $20 bill. And then he's going to cry. And he tells you, Tati, Abba, hold my hand. Walk me, into, walk me to the end of the room. Walk me to my sister's room. Walk me to the basement. Walk me upstairs. I'm not carrying him. Just holding on to him. Also, why we're scared, like we said, that you might come to pick up the mukse. And since you might come to pick up the mukse, hachamim wor Now, this sounds like a very, very, very far gezerah. But that's what it is, really. That, that's the halakha. Question now is like this I don't understand. I'm not carrying the mukse. I'm carrying my son who's carrying the stone. What's the problem with that? Rabbi, didn't you teach us when it comes to mukse, there's something called tatumun hatsad, which means I'm allowed to use a broom, which is klish becht to sweep away mukse, Right? You told us that. Not only because it's Gafsharay, I'm allowed to, when well, it's the Dabaham Mutar. So, why over here is it a problem when I carry my son who's carrying the coin, or, okay, I understand if the coin, in the case of the coin, it's a special case that I might come to pick it up. But why is it a problem when he picks, he's carrying a stone? I'm not carrying the stone, my son is carrying it. For that, we have three answers. My son Piskechubot, he brings from. Three different sources, three answers. Number one is that Hakamim made over here a special gizera and they consider that when you carry a child, even though you're not carrying the stone directly because his child is one who's carrying it, it's like you're carrying the stone with it. That's one answer. That, that's a special gizera. Number Another answer that's given is like this. We said you could only carry your son who's carrying the stone only if he would have a tantrum without it. And that's what the hakimim said. He's going to be harbei. he might get sick. So now, this reason gives me the heter to carry my son, because now I'm, it is a tultum natsad. I am carrying my son, who's carrying the stone, but the tultum natsad is only mutar, dabar mutar. Remember the case we gave, if you have a fruit or, or a vegetable that's buried in dirt, and you want to shake off the dirt from it. The dirt is Mukse Muhammad gufo, but the fruit is not mukse. I'm allowed to shake off the dirt for the sake of the fruit. I want the fruit. I'm shaking off the mukse from it. That's mutar. I'm moving mukse through something that's mutar. It's only mutar if it's for the sake of the fruit or something that's not mukse. When I sweep the floor, for example, let's say, you know, this happened to me the other day. Um, I had an envelope with checks and it fell on the floor. So now I have a few checks on the floor that I wanted. I can't pick up the checks. The checks are Muksim Mahmoud Gufo. But if I would sweep the checks with a broom, that's called the Tumun Atzad. It would still not be mutar if I'm sweeping the floor because I want the checks to be placed in the closet. Otherwise, my kids would rip it and make a whole design out of it. But it will be only mutar... Because I want the floor clean, the floor is something that's mutar. I like to walk on the floor. I don't want it to be dirty, but it's for the sake that I want the checks that will be called min and will be for Binan on Shabbat. If the kid is not going to cry when I carry my child, it's like I carried the stone. It's called min But if he's going to cry otherwise, then we say it's hamutar. A third answer that's given is. Being that I can't get my son to get rid of the stone. Remember we said if if he's rolling out the stone, I have to make sure I, I tell him, shake off that stone or shake it off from his hand. If by shaking it off from his hand, he's going to cry. So obviously he needs a stone. So when I'm carrying my son, I'm not only carrying my son, I'm carrying him with the stone also with him. So that's called, I'm carrying him not only for him, I'm also carrying him for the stone. I want the stone to be in his hand because otherwise he's going to have a tantrum. So, then in that case, since I want to carry also the stone, so then I have a problem. It's called, even though it's a tumul atzad, but it's a dabar ha'asur. it's for the sake of the stone, which will be forbidden on Shabbat. So, practically, if your child is carrying mukse, any mukse that is, you can't carry him because you can see it like you're carrying that mukse. However, if the mukse is of a category that you yourself would have permission to move it, it's like a i'sur. Is your son is carrying a hammer. Oh, that's dangerous. (laughs) Okay, so let's pick something else. Your son is carrying a pen. He won't let go of the pen. And he needs you to carry him. So now, regularly, I can take the pen and use it, in this case, by carrying my child, who's carrying the pen, so, although it's considered like I'm carrying my pen, but since my son needs me, if my son is carrying something that's of value that we're scared that you might come to pick it up, and this is obviously... Uh, conditional mean to say it's it depends it's custom-made this halakha if the item is hashub to you but it's not hashub to your wife it's important to you it has value to you but it doesn't have value to your wife your wife comes from a very wealthy family for her twenty dollars is nothing for you you are you know (laughs) you work hard for your money you didn't grow up with such wealth so when you see the child carrying twenty dollars Right, you might actually, you know, if he drops it, you might come to pick it up. You don't want the twenty dollars to be lost. So it could be that it could be that for your wife will be mutar, but for you it'll be asur. It's all on the how much you value the item. But you can't say, I'm gonna carry my son, I'm gonna hold his hand, and I'm not I'm not gonna pick up the muksid that he dropped. You cannot say that. Because, like we said, it's a gzirame. Once I made the for that reason. If you believe you're an exception to the reason, you're bound to the gzara of the hakamim. That is halakha tet. Now halakha yud, we begin the subject of the last category of mukse that we're going to focus on. Really, it's two categories of mukse, and they are mukse mahmat isur and basis ha ha'asur. These two categories of mukse are not simple, they're not a lot of halachot. They're not simple, though. We needed to learn Mukseh Mahad Gufo before we got to this subject. Because these subjects are really connected to each other. Mukseh Ahmad Gufo. Let's just review very quickly. Mukseh Mahad Gufo is any item that has no purpose. It's not used for anything, like money, stones, or dirt. In itself, it has no intrinsic value. And that's how it came into Shabbat with that status. It's just a stone. It's not used for anything. And... Uh, the subjects of Muxima sur and Basista sur really rely on knowing this fact. Now, what we're about to tell you is something very, very important in the knowledge of the Hilchot of Shabbat in general, but they are very technical. They're very technical. Uh, I don't want to sound like you know, Hashem Shalom, you know, but you know, but, but this is primarily is going to be a men's thing. What we're about to learn doesn't have so much practicality, but the concepts. Are found everywhere. That men who learn Torah, this concept will come up a lot in Gemara, Masechet Shabbat, Hilchot Shabbat. And you probably have heard these terminologies, and if you're not really familiar with them, they, you know, you probably spaced out because like, whoa, what's going on over here? And if you are a little bit familiar, hopefully with the following, we will have a little bit more clarification on it. I apologize for anybody who is not into the sugya, but hopefully those who are learning the subject or would like to go into the subject. I hope that the following introduction to the Achod Basis will be enlightening and helpful. And when when you come to study Hilchot Shabbat Bayun. let's begin as follows. There are three places or three categories in the Akhot of Shabbat where we find a Mahloket in the Gemara between two great Tanaim. One is Rabbi Yehuda, and one is Rabbi Shimon. There's three mahalokov between Rabbi and Rabbi Shimon and Chot Shabbat. And in all these three categories, we usually, I'm saying the word usually because it's most of the time, most of the time we rule like Rabbi Shimon. Okay, what are these three areas? What are these three categories of Chot Shabbat? Or what are these things? Now, this is not just one isolated area. These concepts, really the, the word category was not correct. These three concepts in Shabbat are found everywhere. In every halakha that you're going to be learning in Shabbat, these concepts will also apply there. So, what are these three concepts? Let's begin with the first thing. Something known by, maybe some people heard of it, now we got the like, Kriya. There's something known, Dabar She'eno Mitkaven. That's the first category. What does it mean, Dabar She'eno Mitkaven? It means, you're doing something that's mutan on Shabbat, but as a result of what you're doing, it's possible that you may cause an Isur to happen as you're doing that which is Mutar. You're doing something completely Mutar. But it's very possible that as what you're doing, you could cause an Isur to take place, and your intention is not for the sake of Isur. It's called Dabar Sheh You're not intending to do an Isur, and it's not certain that the Isur will happen. Let's give you an example to that. Let's say you have a garden, and you have a chair, Anyway, you drag your chair. You have those plastic light chairs. For you to dig a hole in your garden is Asur on Shabbat for many reasons. One of the main reasons is harish. You're 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 plowing your field, which in itself sets up the the, the you know the melacha of planting. So here you're dragging your chair. Is it possible that maybe as you're dragging your chair, maybe that it might make holes in the ground? Yeah, of course it's possible. Is it certain? No. So is it mutar to drag my chair from my house through my in my backyard, through my garden to get to the, to the end of the garden where I want to sit down with my family mutar or asur, this is a and rebish mohan, asur why? the possibility that maybe I'm gonna dig something in the ground and therefore be over in the the right of Horesh which is dabash al-mikavan asur, however contribution it is mutar why? Because it's not certain it's gonna happen. It's possible. Once something is possible, and I don't have intention to do the Isur, so it's known as t'kaven according to Bishman is Mutar, and that is the Halakha. We hold like a bishmon in this area. However, when I'm doing something that's mutar and it's inevitable that something Asur will also happen, then even Abishamon will agree to be that that's gonna be Asur. Give you an example. I have my my I have a fridge and I have a light bulb in the fridge, and I forgot to shut off the light bulb before Shabbat. I know for sure, I forgot to shut off the light bulb. But it's my job, and I left it on. And not only that, I saw when the kids open up the fridge on Shabbat and close it. And I see the light light went on. So now, when I open the door of the fridge, what am I doing? In essence, why am I opening the door of the fridge? I I don't care about the light. All I want to do is open the fridge, take my uh, lettuce from there because, and I want to eat my salad on Shabbat. Ah, Gishmake salad on, on Shabbat. My act of opening the door is really nothing intrinsically forbidden. I'm allowed to open the door. Yeah, but when you open the door, which is mutar, you're causing the light to go on. And you can't say maybe, yeah, maybe not. For sure it's going to go on. That's called a psikreshe. Psikreshe, even a bishamah holds, that's asur. This is Rabbi Shimon is matir only in the case where it's not certain it's going to happen or not, and that is known Halakha as dabashanum kavin. So this is the first area of Mahlokit between Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Shimon, and we rule like Rabbi Shimon. Next, second area, second concept of Shabbat that we find mahlokhet between Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Yehuda is something known as melachas she'enat zircha legufa. Melacha, which is, the Gemara terms it, this is the you know this is the the phrase in the Gemara. Melachah that's not needed for itself. You're not going to understand what this means if you just translate. There are four different chitot of what they explain. The more simple explanation, and we'll right now use the explanation of the Tosafot. In order for a person to be hayab, oraita on a melachah on Shabbat, it has to be done with the same purpose that was done when the Mishkan was up. We all know that the 39 melachot that are forbidden on Shabbat are derived from... The 39 melachot that have been used, have been done to build the Mishkan. One of the melachot, let's give something that's very, very, uh, uh, what's it called? Practical? One of the melachot that they had to do is they had to color the Kohen's garments in techelet. And that color of techelet comes from a certain fish in the water known as the helazon. So they had to trap the fish. So trapping the fish on Shabbat is forbidden. Why? Because that's what they did in the Mishkan. They had to trap the fish. It's not only fish. It's all animals. Any animal. If I'm trapping the animal on Jabat it's also forbidden. It's known as Melcha of Tzad. I don't have to kill it. Killing is another Isur. But just trapping it alone is Asun mid the Okay? But in the Mishkan, why did they trap the fish? Because they wanted to use the fish for its blood. They wanted the fish. How? So therefore, on Jabbat, if a person traps an animal, not because he wants to use the animal, but he wants to get rid of it, give me a mashal, let's say you have a cockroach, and the cockroach, you know, not the friendliest and cutest uh, presence in the house, you know, not not so many people, you know, say, oh, cute, look at that, there's a cockroach, could I pet you, right, usually people will try to get rid of a cockroach, gives you this creepy feeling, right, if not, okay. So in any case, so now I want to trap the cockroach. Why? Not because I want to capture it and I want to use it as a pet, put a loose around it and walk it every day. No! I want to trap the cockroach because I want to get rid of it. I want to throw it out of my house. So in that case, I'm performing a of tzad, but not for the same reason that they did it in the Mishkan. In the Mishkan, they trapped the fish because they wanted it. Here, I'm trapping the cockroach because I want to get rid of it. I want to throw it out of my house. Here is another area of Mahloket. Between Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Shimon. Contra, Rabbi Yehuda, Mahmir, Asur. That's Asum Even though it's a melaqah, Even though you're not doing it for the same reason of why the Jews did it in the times when they were building the Mishkan, according to Rabbi Yehuda, who cares? Nonetheless, it's still, you're performing, you're trapping the animal at the end of the day. And you're de Ureita. However, Rabbi Shimon says, no. It's a mutar. It's a mutar. But it's not asur midoraita; it's only asur derbanan. What's known in Halakha as patur, patur abal asur. That means if a person traps a cockroach to throw it out of his house, it's asur Dirabanan, but not midoraita according to And here, the majority of Rishonim rule like Rabbi Shimon again. However, the Rambam rules in the case of melachah she'anatzecha gufa he rules like Rabbi Judah; that person would be hayam. So, two people are taking out the cockroach. Oh, one person. Sorry. One person takes a cockroach and throws it out of the house. He could have lived with it, but he doesn't like it. It's not so cute. He wants it out of the house. But he trapped it. The trapping itself of the cockroach, according to, Rabbi, according to the, um, the Rambam, it's a Sudiraita. Even though you're trying to get rid of it. Let's make this a Sudiraita. According to Rabbi, uh, according to the other Rishonim, which is Rabbi Shimon, it will be Patur. A Sudiraita, but not a Sudiraita. Third area of Mahloki between Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Shimon on Shabbat is what's known in the halacha as mukse. Oh, oh, this is our subject. You'll be shocked if you haven't heard this before. You'll be shocked what we're about to say. The Gemara says there's a mahlok between Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Shimon when it comes to mukse. According to Rabbi Yehuda, there is mukse on Shabbat. The laws of mukse are in effect on Shabbat the the concept of Muqseh exists on Shabbat there's an Isur of Muqseh on Shabbat however Gemara says according to Rabbi Shimon, with only minor exceptions he doesn't hold of Muqseh and guess what the Halakha is like Rabbi Shimon that besides a few cases there is no Muqseh what? there's no Muqseh we spend <laughs> maybe 20 hours learning the Halakha and now you tell me there's no Muqseh so what do I learn all this for? or before, hold on, before you throw your tomatoes at your radio station, at your internet, just listen very well. What does it mean that Rabbi Shimon doesn't hold a Mukseh? So here we have the tour and the Beit Yosef. The Yosef really more talks about it. No, Allah even explained this. When we say that according to Rabbi Shimon that he doesn't hold a Mukseh, it's only talking about in specific area. There's only two specific areas where where they they had a mahlokit on. Two, I wouldn't even say two. But in the few specific areas is where they had a mahluket on. Number one is like this. In areas where Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Yehuda disagree will be like an area like Muqseh Mahmat Mi'us. We haven't learned the subject because we don't rule like Rabbi Yehuda in the subject means something that is disgusting. It has a function, but right now in its present state, it's disgusting. And according to the byuda, the fact that it's disgusting makes it muqseh. Okay? Not to be mixed up with graf sharaib. Graf sharaib is the opposite. Graf sharaib allows me to move it even though it's muqseh. Here, it's the opposite. It's a cle. Under normal circumstances, I should be able to move it. But because it became disgusting... So I can't move it. It's called Muqseh Ahmad Mius. So I'll give you an example. Practical example. You have a bowl, and you put cat food in it. And then afterwards, you come and you see it. Now, the bowl in itself should be... It's it's a bowl. It's made to hold food. But now the cats ate from it. Ugh! It's all leftovers. Not the leftovers. But you see the the the, the grease still on it. And you know that animals ate from it. And who knows what they did to it. So it's disgusting to you. So according to be with that that bowl now becomes Mukseh, you cannot move that bowl that's known as mukse. Muhammad mi'us Rabbi Shimon says no it's a bowl it's ra'u it can be used who cares if it's disgusting Mukseh Muhammad mi'us does not apply on Shabbat that's where Rabbi Shimon argues Rabbi Udan Mukseh. however all other areas of Mukseh or the majority of other areas of muqseh that we discussed even Rabbi Shimon will agree that they are Mukseh. for example mukse Muhammad has son keys. Rabbi Shaman says, agrees that it's Mukse. Mukse Mahmad Gufo. Stones and things. Rabbi Shaman will agree that's Mukse. Also, Klish min That you're limited to moving it only gufo but me Also, Rabbi Shaman will agree that's Mukse. So, when we said that Rabbi Shaman disagrees Rabbi be Mukse, it's only in specific areas. We listed before one of them. Mukse Mahmad Mi'us. In that case, we rule like Rabbi Shimon. However, there are cases where Rabbi Uda and Rabbi Shimon disagree in Mukse, and we still don't rule like Rabbi Shimon. Even though Rabbi Shimon says what he says, he's Mekel; is more lenient. We are stringent. What's that case? Case of Mukse de Ben Hashmashot, and this Rabba listen I'm very, very important. What's the case of Mukse de Ben It's something basically that. Entered Shabbat, or you know, what Shabbat begins, is from Shekiyah sunset until Set Acohabim, that's known as Ben Hashmashah. We discussed this in the past. That's the basically the bridge to Shabbat, from weekday to Shabbat. In that bridge of time, if something came into Shabbat as Mukseh, it remains Mukseh throughout the whole duration of Shabbat, even though. The reason of the Muqseh might have been removed on Shabbat. I'll give you an example. We can learn in the laws of Basis that the is that when something is forbidden, is placed on top of something that's mutar, even the, banner, even the item that's holding the forbidden piece also becomes Muqseh. I'll give you a very, very simple example. You have money. Money is Muqseh Muhammad Gufo. You place money in a bowl. Okay, so long as the money is in the bowl, the bowl also beca- has the same status as the money. Also the bowl is Muksei Muhammad. Gufo. Now here's the Mahalak Rabbi Bihudah and the Shimon. According to the Bihuda, if the money somehow was moved, was taken, it was removed on Shabbat from the bowl, the bowl remains Mukseh because it came into Shabbat with the money on it and it was placed there intentionally, therefore it remains Mukseh. However, according to the Shimon, I, he'll, he'll say like this. I understand that when the money is in the bowl, it's mukse. The bowl is mukse, even though it should always be, it's a klishmachtol heter. But as long as the money is on it, Rabbi Shimon will agree that's mukse. But once the money came off, so why are you making the bowl mukse? that said the mukse is gone? Use the money, use the bowl, excuse me. What's the problem? This is known as mukse ben Shot. We in this area rule... We, I mean all of Klalis' El, by the way, it's not Faradi, everybody, Shuhana, Aruch, Gemara. We rule in this area like Rabbi Yehuda, not like Rabbi Shimon. Why? The Bahag, ba'al Hal one the earlier Rishonim explains because in the Gemara we find that Rabbi Meir also rules like Rabbi Yehuda. So it comes out, Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda hold. In such cases, it's Mukseh. The ball remains Mukseh even though the coins were removed from it on Shabbat. Since they came into Bashot as Mukseh and the whose material is the Rabbim. was Rabim. The rules like the Rabim. Good. So let's give you another mashal. You have a, a bowl that has oil in it, and you put a wick inside of it, and now it's lighting. You know that the the, the the oil will finish three hours into Shabbat. Or candlesticks. You know that the oil is gonna shut off after three hours. According to the Bishamon as long as the flame is on, you can't use your candlesticks. You can't use that bowl. Contra Behuda. even when the candles shut off, even when they shut off, you cannot use the candlesticks for the whole duration of Shabbat since it came into Shabbat with mukseh on it. This is known as mukseh de Ben Hashmashot. Now there are areas where Bishamon himself will agree that if it came into Shabbat as muqseh, it will remain muqseh throughout all of Shabbat, even though the reason why it's muqseh is gone. For example, you have fruits on a tree, and it came into Shabbat on a tree, and then the wind blew, and the, the fruits fell off from the tree. I can't you that for sure, since it came into Shabbat, ben as muqseh remains muqseh. But even Abishamon will agree in this area that the fruits are muqseh. Why? And here is very, very important. Because according to the B Shimon, for something to have the status of Mukseh throughout the whole duration of Shabbat, you need two conditions. What are these two conditions? Condition number one is known as dihyabiadaim. That you actively set it aside. You personally set it aside that you didn't want to use it. Number two, you need both conditions. Number two is that shot. There wasn't a possible way that you could've used that item during Ben Hashmashot in a permissible way. For example, let's take the fruit. The fruit was on the tree. When Ben Hashmashot came in, the fruit was on the tree. Once Ben Hashmashot came in, could you take from that fruit? No, because you'd be tolesh, ripping off the fruit from the tree. Not only that, the fact that you didn't pick the fruits on the tree from before Shabbat, it shows that you don't want them. That's like pushing them aside. So according to Rabbi Shemaon, even though a storm came and it was windy and the fruits fell on Shabbat, since you were Do you didn't pick them. And also, you couldn't have used the fruit during Ben Hashbashot, then it remains Mukseh throughout the whole duration of Shabbat. This is a short introduction to Mukseh Mahmat Isur and the cases of Mahaloq B'ti Rabida and Rabi Shemaon. a little bit more detail on this, but next week when we get into the subject more, we'll review this last concept with a few practical applications, and we'll, start, we'll come back to Practical Halakha. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Iran and Jairu and Rav Nisim for hosting us and spreading Torah. Have a wonderful week, and Shabbat. We'll see you here next week live On the Halakha hour on Wednesday, 2 o'clock. This show will be aired on again tonight at 10 p.m. on JRootRadio.com. If you have any questions, you could call in right now at 718 683 5858 or text at 347 927 8398.